Good morning, friends. This is uh, Sunday morning, August 25th. This is the last installment of my portion of our class on relationships. We're going to be looking at the understanding husband from 1 Peter 3, 7. And uh, let me pray for our time together. Father, what a privilege, uh, what a a blessing to gather this morning, to gather in your name, freely, without fear of reprisal, for naming the name of Jesus. Thank you for this precious church. Thank you for its people, our visitors. Thank you for your word and your jealous desire to teach us, to change us, to mold us into the image of Jesus. Thank you for this glorious institution of marriage designed, among other things, for our good, our glory, and to show the world uh, what the love of Jesus looks like for his church. Use your word now to shape us, to inform us, to encourage us, to help us, to change us, and do that for the glory of Jesus, in his name. Amen. So we've come a long ways in our class on relationships, and we're landing in 1 Peter 3, last week. We did the first six verses on uh, the, uh, the, wife, the wives part of this. Does anybody remember the context that Peter gives us when he starts the text with the word likewise? What is the context for his teaching and instructing wives and husbands? Anybody remember the context? It's the verses that precede it, which talk about suffering, an unjust suffering, and the pattern Jesus left us to walk in, following in his stage, suffering unjustly, and uttered no threats, nor was anything vile found in his mouth. So the pattern of Jesus suffering unjustly, and not using his tongue, as it were, to defend himself. Why did, not, why did Jesus not defend himself before Pilate and his accusers? He did, he, did, he did affirm his deity when his identity is questioned. Jesus affirms his identity. I am the son of God. But he did not defend himself against all these false accusations. Do you remember why we said last week? Because standing in our place, accused with our sin, we have no defense before a holy God. So Jesus uttered no threats, did not defend himself, We have nothing to say before a holy God. Jesus, in our place, as it were, took the abuse. And it's in that context of suffering unjustly and not using our words to defend ourselves that Peter immediately starts to talk about relationship between wives and husbands. That's the context. So is it any surprise that there's suffering annexed to our marriages? Marriages are hard. Anytime you put two sinners under one roof, you're going to have what? Conflict, you're going to have more sin. Usually, two sinners together generate more sin than one of them can have in and of themselves. <laughs> so, marriage is a hard institution. It's not for the faint of hearted, it's for those, if they want to, as it were, succeed in it, need lots and lots and lots of grace. So, wives get six verses, according to Peter, husbands get one. Probably because husbands couldn't handle more than one verse. I don't know. But let's start with the definition. I saw this uh, years ago. A husband is someone who takes out the trash 
and gives the impression that he cleaned the whole house. Can anybody relate? <laughs> I can relate to that. That sounds like me. I do this little chore, and I'm kind of walking around like, oh, look at me, Janice, completely oblivious of all the things Janice does that doesn't call, she doesn't call my attention to, all the things she does to make her house run well. And I take out the trash and thing, I clean the whole house. Okay, that works for me. So, we have one verse before us. Who would read it for us? 1 Peter 3, 7. Who wants to read it for us? Probably be good for a man to read this. Since it's addressed to husbands. Okay, Rock. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Thank you. When you come to passages in the Bible, in particular verses, it's always good to start with observations. Are there promises? Are there commands? Are there reasons annexed to the things that you're told to do? And this verse just breaks itself down beautifully. And I've done that for you. If you want to cover up and, and not give the answers that I've provided, what's the command in this verse? An imperative. This is something you're supposed to do. Ken, what's the command? Live with your wife in an understanding way. Yeah, that understanding way kind of bleeds into methodology, but let's take that as the command. Live with your wife in an understanding way. So if you're reading this as a man, you come to this verse, you need to say what before the Lord? What are you going to say, Andy? Am I not, am I not doing it? Am I doing this? Show me, Lord, where I'm not doing this. This is a command. And if it's a command of God, it is therefore good for you and your marriage, and it honors Christ, it glorifies his name, it's good for your kids, it's good for your church. Healthy churches are made up of healthy singles and healthy marriages. Okay? So you're reading this, and you go, Lord, am I doing that? Just don't gloss over it. And that's what we're going to try to tease out some today. So we see a command. Secondly, do you see a method given for how you do this? Oftentimes God tells us how do we do, how we're supposed to do what he asks us to do. What is the method? Anybody? Yay. Anybody see a method? Show honor. Showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel. There you go. Showing her honor. Okay, so it's... How do I live with my wife in an understanding way? And there's a lot of ways we're going to answer that question, but one specific way. We've got some students with us. Who right? Welcome. We're going to here. Anybody freshman at Maryland here? Here. One, two. No. no. Where are you from? Where's home? Yes. Uh, Odenton, Maryland, near Naples. Fantastic. Pittsburgh, PA. Pittsburgh? Annapolis. Annapolis. Good. We're delighted you're here. Thank you, Chris. Welcome to our students. Good the man got it. They had no choice. Swept yeah. up in the, uh, the Wallace van. It captures all its victims. So the method showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel. Oftentimes God gives rationale for why we're supposed to do something. That's helpful. Do you see a rationale in the verse? Why you're supposed to do this? Is there a good reason? Sometimes we need to know. 
Lee, what's the reason? You see, you were nodding your head, if I may call on you. <laughs> well, do not say have it written down here. <laughs> Since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. Thank you. Isn't that great? When God commands us to do something, He often gives us the method and a rationale. Okay? And finally, is there an incentive? Or as we say in the South, an incentive to do this. <laughs> Believe me, I have a brother that lives in a place where that's the way they talk. What's the incentive, y'all? What's the incentive? Our prayers won't be hindered. So your prayers won't be hindered. Now, when you read that, what does that strike in your heart? Does that strike tear in your heart, David? Your prayers will be hindered? It should. I can't tell you how many times, not that many, but in the past, I had left to go to work to save the world as a pastor, knowing things weren't great with my wife, and the Lord was calling this verse into my mind. Your prayers are hindered if you're not loving Janice first. Why should I love the people in the Church of Jesus Christ if I'm not loving my wife well? The greatest gift I have to give to my church is the way I love my wife and my kids and Jesus. It's an outflow of that. Okay, so there you go. When you have a verse of scripture, ask, is there a command, is there a method, a rationale, an incentive? Well, let's tease it out then. First, the command. Live with your wives in an understanding way. What does that command presuppose? It presupposes a lot of things. Number one, that you want to. Why wouldn't you want to live with your wife in an understanding way? And let's just put it this way. Your roommates. This is generally, of course, about relationships, and I realize you probably don't have wives on the radar screen. Some of you might be single. Or maybe in your station in life, there's no uh, possibility of a spouse. So just think about live with your roommates in an understanding way. Um, uh, Why would you want to? Anybody? Well, you want to be treated. Precisely. The golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Do you want your spouse, Melissa, do you want Nate to live with you in an understanding way? Yeah. And Nate wants the same. It's a, real, it's a grace to be lived with in an understanding way. It's a beautiful thing to honor a human being. Okay? Nobody likes to be in a relationship where you're manipulated. Nobody likes that. You don't need to believe in God to not want to be manipulated in a relationship. Okay? So the command presupposes you want to. Secondly, it presupposes that this is needful. What do you think I mean? What do you think I mean? I don't want to take a stab at it. This command presupposes that you, this is needful to do it this way. Okay. What's the natural bent of your heart when you woke up this morning? What? Yeah, self-focus. If my natural bent is I'm focused on myself. I'm, I'm, I want to get what I want, the way I want it, when I want it. That's my natural bent. Unless that is fought against, unless that is leaned against, unless that is prayed against, indwelling sin will get the better of you, if, if even in very subtle ways. So it's needful to be intentional and thoughtful and deliberate. Just like putting on the armor of God. 
We're in this cosmic battle against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. And that battle rages in your heart and indwelling sin. My sin will get the better of my wife if it's not consciously resisted, mortified. Okay? It's needful. I say thirdly, uh, the command presupposes that you believe it's universal in its applicability. Let me tell you what I mean by that. What I mean is, when I think about who my daughter marries, I want this verse to characterize that man. When I pray for my other, uh, when I pray for my sons and their marriages, I want my sons to live with their wives in an understanding way. So, it's not just me, it's people that I love and people that are dear to me. Do we want a church where this is what marks the way husbands live? They live with their wives in an understanding way. What kind of church would that make for? Just out of curiosity. What fruit would that bear, do you think? Peace. Peace within the church, right? Because, Marty, if you get up and you know, I want to live with Judy in an understanding way, it's going to bleed over into your other relationships. And, you know, Ephesians 4. Be diligent, preserve the unity of the spirit and the bonds of peace. That's for the body. It starts at home. The training ground for doing this with others sometimes is in our roommates in college or right there at home. Okay, so I believe this is universal in its applicability. I want my wife's husband to do this. I'm sorry. I, yeah, I want my wife's husband to do this. Yeah, that would be me. I want my I want my daughter husband to live with her in an understanding way. That's what I meant by that. And it presupposes that you know how to. Where do we get crash courses on how to live with our friends, our spouses, in an understanding way? Where do, where do we get those crash courses? What's the most obvious one? The home you grew up in. Yeah, your family. Just out of curiosity, we're not here to run anybody down. How many of you grew up witnessing a, a, a father who live with your mother in an understanding way, who really lived this verse. Oh, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Good. Good! That's very encouraging. So my dad is with the Lord now, uh, and I love him, I honor him, he's a wonderful man, deeply grateful for him. I wouldn't say I saw this modeled super, super well. So do you think that had an impact on our first years of our marriage? Yeah. Just pull Janice aside and ask her, what kind of butthead was Mike your, our first five years of marriage? So, I'm responsible for that. I'm not blaming anybody. I'm responsible for that. But seeing it modeled. So, there's, so, 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 Radu, there's so much at stake. No, no, no. Here, no, no, no. They were, they were going down a little bunny trail. I really shouldn't have interrupted. <laughs> But there's so much at stake for the way you love uh, your wife. So much at stake for the way you love Ruth. You're training your daughters the kind of man they want to marry. You're training your sons this is how they're going to treat their lives. So much at stake. Boy, does the world need to see this, doesn't it? Okay. So, I'm asking the question, I'm saying this, this, this uh, command presupposes that you know how to. What is it you want to understand? Live with her in an understanding way. That raises the question, understand what? So what are some answers to that question? What do you need to understand? Just what comes, what comes to mind? 
Or think, wives, how would you like to be understood in terms of your... Your background, the way you were raised. Good. And how that impacts the way you see things. Yes, I want Tao to relate to me in light of my background, how I was raised. If we came from different cultures, you didn't in your case, but if you came from different cultures, different family systems, good. I was one of three boys, youngest of three boys. My mom was the most wonderful mother in the universe. I love her dearly. She's also with the Lord. And she was a tomboy. Her nickname in high school was Swish. Awesome. She was a tomboy. I mean, she was a wonderful lady, don't get me wrong, but she was... We we're all athletes. She was all into our sports. And so I didn't have any sisters. And my mom was a wonderful lady, but kind of a tomboy. So guess what the first five years of our marriage was like? Me trying to figure out how to relate to Janice as a woman. It's just, you know, finally the bells finally went off. Ding, 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 ding. Oh, yeah, Mike. You, you know, you didn't have sisters. Your mom was a tomboy. So I had to, I had to learn. My wife's a woman. She's different than me. So what do you want to? So what are some other answers to the question? What does he want to understand? The NIV version says be considerate. Okay. Be considerate uh, as you live with your wife. So in consideration of, and almost like walking around in shoes of, and you're you're not in this relationship. It's a. Uh, am I trying to say two becomes one? Good. To make a joint decision, you have to consider each other to have one decision or one focus or one line. Good. And we're going to talk about that, Lee, Stephen, Weave, in just a second. But Lee's making this point that when I, when I do premarital counseling, I'm always using this diagram that usually when two people are attracted to each other, they don't realize it at the time, but they have more differences than they know. A deeply bred personality differences, differences in approach to life, etc. I think it's that opposites attract thing, even though we're not consciously aware of it. So uh, let's just take uh, the, on the task-oriented thing. Usually one is very task-oriented, the other isn't. And that's true in my marriage. Who's task-oriented in my marriage? Janice. She gets a heck of a lot done. Okay, I'm not so task-oriented. I'm trying to learn to be better. And then you have people-oriented. Who's people-oriented in our marriage? Yeah. Me. Not so much Janice, although she's grown a lot as a, as a, as a human being. So we're really different on the <laughs> what, wait, wait, what did I say? What did I say? <laughs> she's grown a lot as a human being. <laughs> so, so am I. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> All right, so, so what's, what's God's design here? What's God's design? What? Welcome back. Thank you. What a treat. What, what's God's design in these differences? Sanctification. Sanctification, Ruth, which means what? Mr. Mr. People oriented and not so task oriented needs to do what? Yeah. She, Janice is in my life to pull me more here. See, Jesus Christ, the God man, is the perfect embodiment of everything task orientation, people orientation, whatever it is. And so I can't enter the mirror saying, saying, I'm fine the way I am. I'm not fine the way I am. This woman is in my life to make me more like Jesus. So it's to pull me this direction, to pull Janice this direction or whatever the issue is, and 
It takes wisdom to know, right, sometimes it's look before you leap. Sometimes it's he who hesitates is lost. Those are two totally different ways of approaching a situation, aren't they? Look before you leap. He who hesitates is lost. So you need wisdom to know, you know, in this situation we need to be more people-oriented. In this situation we need to be more task-oriented. So you need to pray for wisdom and for what quality needs to be in your heart to say, I really do need to change and become more like my wife in this aspect. What quality needs to be in your heart? Humility. I didn't have any of that when I got married. I didn't know what humility was. If you had asked me a week after my marriage, tell me about humility, I'd look at you in the blank here. You're in the headlights there. I didn't. Well, if you don't know what humility is, get married, you'll find out in a hurry how much you need it. Okay, so, uh, maybe that's a little bit what Lee was talking about there. So you want to understand, I'm going to tease out a number of things you want to understand or be considerate of. Number one, your spouse's brokenness. What do, you, what do I mean? What's that? They're imperfect. They're imperfect. Like you. I'm going to make this almost like you. Not quite as bad as you, but... <laughs> I'm going to make the point of my sermon that we are all born into this world twisted and warped and bruised by the fall. Right? That cute little baby couldn't do anything wrong. No. They came out of the womb twisted and warped and bruised and wounded. They have an endemic nature. And the beautiful thing is, this is the point of the sermon, Jesus is going to make that all perfect in glory. And sanctification as he's doing that work progressively now. But what does it mean to understand my wife's brokenness? What are the implications of that? What does she need from me if I know she's a broken person? Gentleness. Gentleness. Empathy. Empathy. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Patience. Patience. Yes. Grace. Grace. I'm broken. She's broken. Without the qualities you just mentioned, two brokennesses makes a real mess. Which is why marriages end. That's why marriages end. They can't manage brokenness. Okay? I want to understand my wife's brokenness. The best way I've found as a husband to do that is to lead by being transparent about my own brokenness. I would say in our marriage, our marriage took a turn a little late to the game, guys, so forgive me. Probably, uh, we've been married 41 years, probably 15 to 20 years in, I, I just began to more be more vulnerable with my wife and transparent about my brokenness. And I think that was a huge turn in our marriage. Um, up until then, what do you think was driving my way of relating to her. If at that point I started to be transparent and vulnerable, what do you think was driving it prior to that? The need to... Control. I'm not a controller, but the need to... All right. Pride, the need to look good. The need to... Did you say that quick? I said hide. Are you hide? <laughs> hide, yeah. Hide my what? Hide my what? Pride. Hide my imperfections. Hide my pride. To put on, I want to. I want to be seen this way. And look, when you live with somebody for so many years, they know better. You can't hide it. You can't hide selfishness. It just has a way of stinking up everything. All right. Secondly, you want to understand her preciousness. What do you think I mean? 
Yes. Made it in the image of God. She is an image bearer of God. That's enough to make her precious in my sight. Excellent. Just think of the first wedding. Here's Adam. All alone. He looks down the pathway and here comes God. Probably a pre-incarnation theophany of Jesus Christ. He's walking down the aisle. He's recuperating from surgery, right? He's gone under the anesthetic because a rib's been taken from the side. And God takes Eve's hand and puts it in Adam's. I love that about weddings, incidentally. I love that. That is so dramatic. One day I'm going to have to do this with my daughter. (laughs) Because it is a transfer of authority, right? I'm going to put my daughter's hand, maybe one day, in some other man's hand saying, I'm done. She's yours. That's the biggest distance traveled in the universe, that distance from, from my hand to her, to another man's hand. Anyway, so God walks Eve down the aisle and basically looks Adam in the eyes and says, she's precious to me. You better take care of her. Every daddy feels that way when he gives away, who's given away a daughter. You've given away quite a few of them. <laughs> Didn't you feel that way? Oh, yeah. She's so precious to me. <laughs> I did, sidebar, I did premarriage counseling with a couple one time in Fort Worth. And you ask all these different questions. And, what do your parents think of the relationship? And, uh, and the man turns in, oh, when I asked her dad if I could marry her, he said, yes, you may, but don't hurt my daughter. I have a gun, I have the bullet. I will use it, I'll do the jail time. I will kill you if you hurt my daughter. The guy was dead serious. I mean, that's Texas for you, right? Everybody's got a gun. That man was dead serious. Yeah. That's the way we feel. We don't usually articulate it, and we don't usually... We put the bullets away. She's precious. She's precious. I... If I lose sight of how precious is Janice is to the Lord, I've, I've, I'm missing the picture. And you want to understand thoroughly your vision for the relationship. What are you trying to accomplish? You've been through pre-marriage counseling with somebody in this room. <laughs> I will come on. What are you trying to accomplish? What are you setting out to do? Anybody remember the title of my pre-marriage counseling? The booklet? Developing a vision for a gospel-centered marriage. Yes. Developing a vision for a gospel-centered marriage. If you don't know what you're setting out to do, you are sure to accomplish it. So every day you have a you have a reason to go out to dinner, honey. For from day one to day, who's been married the longest in this room? Who's been married 50 years or more? Close to 50. Close to 50. Okay, you can go out to dinner with Melanie Rock and say, are we setting out what we accomplish? What we, are we accomplishing what we set out to accomplish? And that is to have a marriage that is gospel-centered. That's revealing the way Jesus loves his church. Okay. Uh, this presupposes you have a vision for a marriage that's uh, grounded in the word of God. It also, uh, living with her in an understanding way, presupposes that you're seeking to understand the nature of the covenant. The original covenant of marriage was a covenant of what? Love. 
What problem was it solving? Was problem the solving this problem was solving of Adam's loneliness. It is not good for the man to be alone. Therefore, this is a covenant of companionship. Companionship. When God says, I will make a helper suitable for him, it does not translate in the Hebrew doormat. That word helper, God use of, uses of himself in relation to his uh, uh, love for his people Israel. I will make a helper, a compliment. Because God said, you can name all the animals, and Adam said, that's fine, there's nothing here that's going to help me, ultimately. With my what? My loneliness. This is a covenant of companionship. So now you have a litmus test to see if this relationship is honoring God and bringing you the maximum amount of joy and pleasure it's designed to, and that litmus test is what? How our companionship? Are we friends? Or as my wife has just said, two ships passing in the night. <laughs> you get really busy with life, two ships passing in the night. That's not what friends do. What do friends do? What do friends do? How do you maintain a friendship? You hang out. You have fun. You talk. You laugh. You cry. You pray. You do tasks together. You catch up. You pray for each other. Did I say that already? So this is the nature of the covenant. I think Lee was a couple steps ahead of us recently. And that is, Adam is told to leave his father and his mother. He's told to cleave to her. And the two will become one flesh. Just to make it a rhyme, weave a life. Leave, cleave, and weave. One flesh. One decision-making unit. It's not principally referring to sex. It's principally referring to one person. A decision-making unit. Okay. Um, it also, you're also seeking to understand your threat to the marriage relationship. Your threat. What do you, what do you think I mean? Sin. Who, who's the greatest threat to your uh, to your marriage, Gail? Who's the greatest threat to my marriage? Me. So remember our paradigm. Remember our paradigm. Two people get up in the morning, they throw their feet on the floor, and your first thought is what? If left to myself, I will ruin this marriage. Why? Because my pettiness, my selfishness, my demandingness, all the stuff Morty mentioned earlier, this bent on, on wanting what I want, when I want it, how I want it, if that is left unchecked, it will ruin what God wants for us. But that's just the beginning of the story. So what should I do? Okay, I'm the greatest threat to the welfare of my marriage. What should I do? What do I do with that? The answer isn't in me. We're not humanists. The answer isn't in me. The answer is in Jesus. I run to the only person who can handle my junk, Jesus Christ. He welcomes me into his presence. He bought the right through his cross to get into my crap and begin to work on it. You can bring all of your junk to Jesus. All of it. He never despises it. All your failures. This is the kind of Savior we have. We go to Jesus with poor, broken, leaky hearts. And he's all too pleased every morning to fill us in me with grace. Grace, grace. The nature of grace is it always flows 
downhill. It does not go to the straw. It does, does, does not go to the valiant. It doesn't go to people who say, just add a little bit more to my strength. Just, I can lift 120 pounds. Jesus, put two more, bar, two more pounds on each side of the barbell and help me a little bit. That is not the gospel. The gospel is I'm desperate, I'm broken, I have nothing at all comes from Jesus. And if Jesus doesn't fill my heart, this will ruin not only my relationship with my spouse, but all my other relationships. Because left to me, it's going to be ugly. So grace comes. It fills my heart. The nature of grace is static or bouncy? This will be on the final exam. <laughs> is grace A, static, or B, bouncy? Bouncy. Where grace goes, what does it do? It reflects on to other people. It bounces. It reflects on to other people. It's the nature of grace. Isn't that wonderful the way God designed this world? True grace is not a cul-de-sac. It just doesn't come to me, so now I have a little grace party with Jesus. No. Real grace transforms me to be concerned and other-centered, to be weary of what my sin can do. And the patience, the understanding, the compassion, the love Jesus has for me and my brokenness, that gets shown to other people, not least my spouse. That's the paradigm. That will work. You'll, you'll be able to deal with a whole lot of sin in your, in your marriages if you're doing that. Don't do that. If Jesus isn't there, go get the gun and the bullet. You know, put it to your own head. I'm being, I'm being facetious. But. Okay. The to the office too. Sorry. showing up in difficult circumstances is a witness to the God who's bigger than our biggest trials. Very helpful. Okay? So moving right along, um, what time is it? It's five after. Oh, goodness. Time flies when you're having fun. Tools which foster understanding. Three tools to, because right, we live with your wife in an understanding way. If you want to do this, what are you grasping for? Tools that help you do it. Okay? What are some of the tools? Listening. Does your spouse want you to listen to them? How well do you listen? What's our natural inclination? To talk. To talk. And to get our viewpoint across. And so my wife is sharing this information with me and what's going on in my mind. There's sort of a superficial yes, but a really big but, and I'm beginning to formulate how I'm going to respond. <laughs> right? And what does that mean? It means I really don't hear what's being said. A lot can be accomplished among frail, sinful people when we listen well and understand. Listen well to understand. Just another true confession, because I want you all to know how frail I am as a human being. When I started preaching regularly, I would sort of pull my wife aside like on Saturday night and say, hey, I want you to hear this. And I'd start running my sermon by her. And she'd have critique. 
which she should. That's the tacit invitation of the right, listen to the sermon. Although what I really wanted was, I wanted her to say what? Oh, honey, that's just great. Not Janice, though. You're going to get the truth from my life. And that's what I need, right? And that's what I need on this continuum. I need a truth speaker. So she says, well, that isn't clear. This isn't clear. And I just blow her off. I'm sorry, I blew her off. I minimized her concerns. Finally, I'm a slow learner. Finally, I realized she is the person in the pew. She has a vested interest in how well I preach much more than most people, right? If it isn't, I finally, finally learned, if it isn't clear to Janice, it isn't clear to most people. So I better change. I didn't listen to my wife. I didn't, I didn't value her the way that I should. Second tool in understanding, questions. Like what? What are some examples? Anything that has you in the sentence, like what do you think about? Okay. How's this affecting you? What do you think? What is your perspective? What's your personal history with this? So that's an other-centered approach. Good. Very good. An other-centered approach. Asking questions. Asking questions. And then third tool, observations. What do you think I mean? Studying body language. It's nonverbal, 80% is. And some people are more intuitive than others. Some people are very intuitive. They can, they can read body language better than others. Um, you know, it's, uh, but if, if your wife has to say, honey, is it not clear that I'm angry right now? Then, you know, need to take a course in that or something. But you want to observe, make observations, study this person. Appreciate her, study her. And what are, what are some simple ways of doing that? Spend time together. As Rock said earlier, hang out. Um, the goal that I want, and I, I, I don't do so well, is I want, I want Janice to feel at the end of the day that she's the most cherished woman in the world. I'm not responsible for her happiness. Who is? Jesus. Having said that, I want to live with her in such a way that she feels like the most cherished person in the world. So that if she, she goes into another setting, she says, I'd rather, I don't want her saying, I'd rather be married to that man because Mike's such a jerk. I'd rather her think, I feel so cherished, I can't imagine not being married to that man. Is that, is that okay? Is that a good paradigm? Live with her in such a way that she feels like the most cherished woman in the world. Again, I'm not responsible for her happiness. And one of the things we've done in more recent decades is I believe one way to communicate that is to pray for her in her presence out loud. Now, after 20 years, are you going to be praying pretty much the same stuff? Yeah. So? So what? It's only so much to pray. But in her presence, praying for her out loud, just expressing to God my thankfulness for her and praying God's blessing on her it keep, look, it keeps a, it keeps a uh, playing field level. If you were to sneak into our house one night and Janice goes up to lie down and go to bed and I'm downstairs watching ESPN, you can be sure of what? I didn't go up to pray with her. You can be sure of what? We got some tension, and I'm not dealing with that. Because when you when you when you're feeling at odds with somebody. Prayer is a great equalizer, right? You just feel like a, you can't lay down and pray to that. That's what we do when she goes to bed. We lay, I pray for her uh, and our kids and whatnot. And 
And we pray for Wallace. We pray for Stan. So anyway, let's move on because we're almost out of time. Sorry. What's the method? Number two, the method of living with your wife in an understanding way. Somebody read it for us. Showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel. Okay. So this isn't, uh, this isn't inferior weakness. It's delicate weakness. So if you're beachcombing, how rare is it to find a whole sand dollar? You, you find pieces of sand dollars. It's very rare to find a whole sand dollar. If you're beachcombing, you find a sand dollar, what do you do? You pick it up. This is what we do. You hold it in your hand and you walk back to your chair. That's delicate. So the question is, what sort of uh, weaknesses is uh, Peter referring to? Commentators say one of two possibilities. Physical weakness in view of the persecution. There's persecution here. Physical weakness. I prefer weakness in terms of position. God has set the man in authority over the woman. By definition, that puts her in a position of weakness vis-a-vis his authority, right? More vulnerability. And so, if I'm right, Peter is saying, how you exercise your headship and authority should be done with utmost consideration that your wife is in this position of being submissive to you. And of course, we saw from Ephesians 5 a couple weeks ago, the way to do that, husbands, is to die for her. That's all. Die for her. (laughs) Lay down your all for her. Somebody fix the clock since we got here. Fantastic, thank you. That's the real time, Bob. Five minutes to go. What's the rationale? What's the rationale? Since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. Translate it for us. What's Peter saying? He really wants your eyes to be on two things. Heirs. Heirs with you of the grace of life. Heir is putting our focus where? On Christ. On Christ, on eternity, okay, on the throne of God. At the throne of God, how level is the ground? All you have at the throne of God in glory is glorified saints. We're all equal. And to get there is through the cross what you have at the foot of the cross. Very little ground. There's only justified, wretched sinners whom Jesus has died for. Well, that's me, that's Janice, that's me, that's Janice. Grant her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. She's getting that grace the same way I did. Faith and repentance in Jesus. Okay? Ken? You said that it's like a, a radical paradigm shift for the ancient Roman world of how they viewed women, and especially men who kind of like have a mistress and the prostitutes. And the way they viewed women was atrocious. And this yes. is that they are heirs of Yeah. Radically different. Radically different. Yeah, the typical person in the ancient world would go, What? You lost your mind. We said last week, the famous quote from C.S. Lewis, if you could see your wife as she will be in glory, if you could see her now that way, you'd be sorely tempted to fall down and worship her. Last one, last thing, the incentive that Peter gives you to live with your wife in an understanding way and render honor as a follower of the grace of life, what's the incentive? That your prayers not be hindered. Now, commentators say, does that mean your prayers together 
or your prayers as a man? Does it matter? Who wants their prayers hindered? What would hindered prayers do to your life? Stop a relationship with God. Yeah. Man, I'm stomping up my relationship with the Lord. The most precious person in my life, Jesus. There's blocking my communication with him. That should terrify me. The fact that it doesn't probably shows you that I'm I don't have a praying spirit, the one that I should have. Good question. That's a question we should ask, isn't it? It may be. Yeah, I, I couldn't tell you. I'm sorry, but but um, hindered. Does he hear our prayers? Yeah, and the father's probably going. Get your stuff right with Janice first. Right. Or, I want to answer that prayer, Mike, but I'm going to delay, and in this delay, I'm going to force you to, to look over the landscape of your life and see what you're not doing the way I want you to do it. Oh, you're right. Right, Mike. Work on that. So where do you see unanswered prayers, or where you feel prayerlessness, or where you feel there's some sort of block in your relationship with God. You're not feeling intimacy with the Lord. Stop and look at your relationship with your spouse. At least that much is true. That might not be the main reason, but it's one to consider. Good. Juan? Could it also mean like, because when we pray for others, we care about that person and we want what's best for those people. Yes. But if it, even in our relationship, we don't have that care and put our heart into it, how... How genuine is our prayer for others outside our home? Okay, good. Do we pray more fervently for others than we do for our spouse? Okay. Well, we're out of time next week. We will have one last class next week, talked by taught by Willie Elder Rock Brockman. Thank you. Let's let's pray for us, husbands. Lord, we stand in awe of the majesty of your word. There it is in all its glory, the command, the method, the rationale, the incentive. Thank you for making it so clear. And thank you for the grace and power of the Holy Spirit to empower us husbands and men and one another to love and respect and honor one another as image bearers. So bring to pass in our homes, uh, in our dorm rooms, in our relationships, in this church, bring to pass these kinds of relationships for the glory of Jesus. Praise and honor of his Father and ours. Amen. Thank you all.